Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Monday, November 15th. Today on the show, the Preds stay absolutely red hot. The Tennessee Volunteers compete hard but show us exactly what they're missing as a program. And the Tennessee Titans find yet another crazy and bizarre way to win a football game. Please remember the name, the Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website. If you are thinking about making a massive decision financially about your house, just talk to the folks over at the Kingston Group. Even if you don't use them, I guarantee you will learn something and you'll be better off. That's BuildKG.com, the Kingston Group. Just remember the name, the Kingston Group. The Titans-Saints game played out about how was expected. It wasn't pretty, it wasn't high level, but it was hard fought and very physical between two very well coached and depleted teams. Not only were the Saints missing quarterback Jameis Winston, but also superstar tailback Alvin Kamara. The Titans offense was obviously missing Derrick Henry, but also Julio Jones as they placed the star wide receiver on IR on Saturday. So it was sloppy. Multiple missed extra points sloppy. A fumble on special teams sloppy. Both teams combined for 8 of 24 on third downs. There were a ton of penalties, and it was physical and low scoring. That didn't stop the Titans, however, from outlasting the Saints for their sixth straight win in the 23-21 victory on a beautiful fall afternoon at Nissan Stadium. It was a professional, workman, two-tone, blue-collar win, even if it ended up much closer than it should have been. The Titans got Taylor Lewan and Nate Davis back along the offensive line, and Ryan Tannehill and company were able to make just enough plays against a very solid Saints defense, largely on a quick, short, and play-action passing attack, and with a little help from the Zebras. Tennessee scored on their final three drives of the first half, and after a fumble on the opening kickoff of the second half gave the Titans a very short field, they capped a 20 to nothing run with a touchdown pass from Ryan Tannehill to Michael Pruitt. Then the defense did just enough, even without Bud Dupree, who left the game early on Sunday and never returned, to hold on to the win literally in the final minute. The Titans' offense totally stalled in the second half, and the defense was left on the field trying to get goal line stop after goal line stop. They held the Saints to a field goal after seven straight plays in goal-to-go situations in the fourth quarter, and then got another critical stop on the game-tying two-point conversion with just over a minute to play. It was ugly football, an ugly win, and the offense was once again pretty ugly without Henry. And the defense made backup Trevor Simeon look like a starting NFL quarterback at times. But this team made big plays to take a 20-6 third-quarter lead and then made just enough plays to outlast the Saints. There were two very well-coached teams, both missing critical pieces on both sides of the ball, and it showed. But the Titans found yet another bizarre way to win a game by making one extra play, or maybe making one less mistake. The 8-2 start is the best start for the Titans since 2008. They are now 2-0 without Henry. They went 5-0 in what we all had viewed as the toughest stretch of their season. And they are still in complete control of the division and the one seed in the AFC. Georgia is college football's last unbeaten Power 5 team after their 41-17 win in Knoxville on Saturday afternoon. And while the Vols played valiantly in the first half, they simply aren't anywhere near ready to compete with teams of Georgia's caliber. The stats don't always tell an accurate story, but they do here. Georgia rushed for 274 yards and four touchdowns on 6.7 yards per carry. Tennessee rushed it 36 times for 55 yards. After the game was tied at 10 on two 70-yard long sustained scoring drives by Tennessee, which, by the way, is something basically no other team has been able to do to Georgia, the 17 points were a season-high allowed by the Dogs' defense. 
The Vols' next eight drives went as follows. Negative seven yards punt, 13 yards interception, six yards punt, 20 yards punt, end of half. 42 yards turnover on downs, 35 yards turnover on downs, 48 yards fumble. The Vols had some chances on those last three drives, but even those that were quote-unquote close to being successful came after being down two or three touchdowns. Unquestionably, this Vols team fights hard, fights to the end, and fights for each other. All of the cultural cliches clearly apply to the job that Josh Heupel has done in year one. And with games against South Alabama and Vanderbilt to finish the year, 7-5 and five is sitting right in front of them. And that would be a huge success, and it's important to focus on that right now. However, I am incapable of missing the forest through the trees. It is actually a curse. Because Tennessee simply doesn't have the talent or depth to compete with the best teams in this league. And maybe right in the middle of a fun and enjoyable year of football isn't the right time to talk about the big picture for the Vols. But in order to be more than just a good middle-of-the-pack SEC team that goes 8-4, and four, maybe even 9-3 and three every single year, to compete for division titles, SEC titles, and playoff spots, you will need a lot better players. And to do that, you will need to recruit against teams like Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M, and LSU. You have to land top five, top ten classes year in and year out and beat everyone else in the East in talent acquisition. And Tennessee's class is currently ranked 31st in the nation, 11th in the SEC, and worst of all, 6th in the SEC East. Heupel has clearly proven to be a good motivator, a solid schemer, good developer, and what's really cool, a genuinely good dude that people want to rally around and root for. But that only takes you so far in the SEC. With signing day just weeks away, the only thing Heupel is missing from building the program to the next level is better players. And right now, barring a miraculous final month on the recruiting trail, he's not only not going to gain any talent ground on his peers in the SEC, but is actually going to fall even further behind. Obviously today, right now, in the moment, we need to celebrate the job that this coaching staff has done in year one. But it's important to remember that at this level in the SEC, it doesn't matter how much a fan base likes your personality. If you cannot beat your rivals and compete for division titles, then you ain't it. Around the SEC and college football, the year of chaos continues, and I am here for it. Ole Miss unexpectedly dominated a superior Texas A&M line of scrimmage to move to 8-2 and and eliminate the Aggies' hopes of jumping Alabama in the West. Auburn choked away a four-touchdown lead to Mississippi State, essentially sending the Crimson Tide to Atlanta for the ninth time in Nick Saban's tenure, of which, of course, he's won eight straight, by the way. Kentucky rolled Vanderbilt, Mizzou upset South Carolina, and Arkansas beat LSU for the first time in half of a decade. All you need to do to know how wild this season is in college football, just take one look at the SEC West standings. Arkansas is 7-3, has beaten arch-rivals Texas A&M, LSU, and Texas, is ranked in the top 25, and is only in sixth place in the division. Last place? Well, your 2019 national champion LSU Tigers. And with Oklahoma losing to Baylor and lots of losing still left to do across the country, it appears more and more likely that Georgia and Alabama will both get into the playoff again, regardless of what happens in the SEC title game. And while SEC fans might enjoy that, and frankly, they both might be deserving, the real reason to root for a Bama-Georgia rematch is that nothing will expand the playoff faster than another SEC versus SEC national championship game, which of course would be the third such occurrence since 2011. Otherwise, just enjoy the chaos. The Nashville Predators defeated the lowly last place Arizona Coyotes on Saturday at Bridgestone Arena 4-1. It moves the team to 8-1-1 over their last 10 games, and it moved the Preds into a tie for second place in the Central Division standings. 
And the stars were the stars once again on Saturday. Roman Yossi had two goals and four points. Matt Duchesne had a goal and an assist, giving him a goal in three straight games and six out of seven. Mikhail Granlin scored a goal after a career-high four assists on Thursday, and UC Saros gave up one goal on 23 shots. Needless to say, the reason this Preds team is back above 500 and playing such great hockey is the performances of its highest-paid and most important players. Duchesne, Yossi, Saros, Granlund, and to some extent even Ryan Johansson are red-hot right now, and it's not only made this team tough to beat, but also super fun to watch, especially considering that Philip Forsberg is still sitting on the shelf. The John Hines style of competitive shift-in, shift-out 200-foot hockey is how the game is supposed to be played, and it makes for an easy and enjoyable watch. The question is, can this pace be sustained? Granlin, Yossi, and Duchesne are on a point-per-game pace, and all three would be career highs. So it is unlikely it can be sustained at this level. And some shooting percentages and expected goal metrics will likely come down as well. But others, like Ellie Tolvanen, Luke Cunnan, and Yakov Trenin could actually increase. So Adam Vingan of The Athletic and I tried to answer this sustainability question with a deep look at each individual player and stat on last week's Gold Standard podcast to see what we think could be sustained and what likely regresses to the mean. If you'd like a more specific answer, I'd recommend the Gold Standard Nashville Predators podcast out every single Thursday, everywhere pods are found. The Predators are back on the ice against the Toronto Maple Leafs on the road at 6 p.m. on Tuesday evening. Special thanks to the Kingston Group for supporting the show, the 440 every single morning. They are Nashville's award-winning, locally-owned custom home and remodeling firm. They have been doing business successfully in this market for over a decade for a reason, so you should trust them. That's why my family uses them. BuildKG.com is the website. The Kingston Group, that's BuildKG.com. Thank you guys all for listening. Please share the show. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. This has been the 440 for Monday, November 15th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.